1: The Professional's Choice. What's up, HVAC people? Back with another podcast. We have a guy in the podcast that started kind of in the electrician type field. Well, you'll you'll see. Frank Bond, okay? His father and grandfather were electricians, and he has a lot of background. With electrical. And we're going to have a discussion about electrical safety, just some stories. Uh, I'm going to tell some, he's going to tell some, and we're just going to have a real organic, like normal, conversation about electrical. And Frank's a a smart guy. He's out in California. And uh, as we get into discussion, I I tell him, hey, I I wish I was, I kind of wish I was enjoying the weather you were right now, because right now we're in. Kind of the transitional spring mode where things are starting to melt and things kind of uh freeze again then they start to melt and it's just one of those seasons that that, that i dread because it's a mess anyway i'm pretty excited because if you guys heard my last episode i kind of snuck it in there after the episode was published and after it had a bunch of listens but i, I threw in my intro and outro my new intro and my new outro that I'm implementing into the podcast that I had professionally done. Now, I'm excited because this podcast here, I'm actually gonna mix it in right after this, into the conversation. So this is my new intro, guys. I hope you enjoy it. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech Gary McCready will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. What's up, Frank? We're recording. All right. You ready? You ready to rock and roll?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good cool, to go. Man.
1: So I, I. I uh, I'm a little jealous, I should say, because just everybody, I got to tell everybody, because I mean, you were just outside on the back porch, and it was 75 degrees, and you said it was a beautiful night, and that makes me a little bit, not jealous, um, I'm happy for you, I mean, jealousy is one of those things, it's, it's it's an evil, right, I'm happy for you, that it's that temperature, I just wish that I could enjoy that too.
0: Where are you at?
1: I'm in Toronto, so I mean, today was uh, like a balmy, like, uh, if I were to convert to Fahrenheit, we were like a a balmy 36 degrees Fahrenheit probably in that range yeah it gets cold up there yeah I mean it's it seems like we might have a spring is like poking its head through the uh, through the curtains a little bit so I mean we, we could have some good weather real soon but I mean let's let's get into the meat and potatoes of this okay and, and the reason um, we're, we're talking I mean you reached out to me after I kind of put out a feeler post saying hey does anybody Anybody that does electrical um, and has kind of worked in electrical and in HVAC and kind of intertwined the both of them together would like to do a podcast with me. And then you reached out. So I got to give you props for that one.
0: Yeah. And I would be sort of the other way around. I'm primarily an HVAC mechanic who also does electrical. So cool. if that works,
1: you know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It works. So you were telling me, you were telling me uh, the background, how um, your father, was it your father and your grandfather were both electricians?
0: They were both electricians, industrial electricians. They're not with us anymore. Um, But yeah, I kind of grew up around listening to them talk a lot. And, uh, you know, they were more factory, plant, Air Force Base, railroad, city workers, that kind of thing. And a reason I say that is because – and one thing I notice even on, like, your Facebook pages and stuff and and some of these other groups we see on Facebook, a lot of heating and air guys seem to have this view of electricians. Not everybody, but some. You see the the sort of stereotype, and, you know, it's like what I call Romex pullers, you know. Those aren't necessarily – true electricians and i'm not trying to put down residential new construction electricians but that's kind of the the viewpoint that a lot of heat and air guys seem to have towards them and i've even seen them kind of talking down about electricians in a lot of cases and i always want to say those aren't the real thing a real true electrician knows more about controls and theory than most heating and air techs, you know, they could look at a schematic we might read on a machine and figure it out quicker than a lot of us who are pretty good at the trade. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So these are guys that can work on very complex machinery. And, you know, to me, that's how I think of an electrician. That, that's well, the type of
1: guy, to, you know? to be honest, <laughs> I think I, to be honest, I think it's the same with every trade. I think every trade looks down on other trades for some reason. Um, it's like a a big dick swinging competition, really, (laughs) really, (laughs) really, really, it's it, that's what it is. And I've heard there was one person in particular that said plumbers are the dumbest traders. I, I can't remember how it was worded. And I fought back and I'm like, I know a lot of smart plumbers. Like I know a lot of smart plumbers and I've seen a lot of good plumbing work that's been done, like, especially on Instagram. Some people put their jobs on there. Everything is like straight, neat. Um, pipe, uh, like the quality of the work is, is incredible and you yeah. have to have very good planning skills, very good organizational skills to, to do this. You know what I mean? It's not just something that you, you slam together. It's, but yeah, it's good plumbers are
0: great. some of the, the best at seeing a finished product, thinking way ahead on how to route things and run clean pipe work. That's absolutely true.
1: There, there is one, I'll give you the biggest beef that I've had with an electrician. Now, I, I, I support electricians, obviously, because we need them. And, and I think that all trades should be held up high on a pedestal, to be honest with you. But for some reason, and I don't know what it is, but every install I've been on where the electrician has finished wiring up a unit that I'm working on or about to commission, all of the wire clippings are left right where they clip them. And then they walk <laughs> away. And then I said to the one guy, I said, he was leaving. And I said, are you done here? And he's like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, we're done. We're out of here. And I look on the ground as he's leaving it, and I go, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is one of the things that that bugs some people. Can you speak to that at all? Or do you have any experience with that? I think that's just sloppy.
0: And yeah, any guys. trade is capable
1: of that. I mean, um, and, and
0: you're on a lot of flat commercial roofs, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
0: you know, that that's, a, that's cap sheet, tar roofs. Um, when I was coming up in the trade, if you left anything on a roof like that, you could literally start like a screw out of a unit, for example. You drop a screw on that roof and then step on it, you just caused a leak. You know, mm-hmm. we would get our head ripped off for leaving trash on a roof on a job Good. site like that. You just didn't do that, you know, and we would always have like a box nearby. And I I own a company and that's, that's how I run my guys. You should always have a box nearby to put your garbage in. You shouldn't be leaving clippings. So that, that's not necessarily the trade. That's how that company runs, (laughs) I think, (laughs) you know.
1: So I've been, um, I've, I've been on a few roofs where refrigeration guys, like one site in particular that, we we do some maintenance there and they have some some walk in boxes that have that were installed by them. So they, they get called back for the service calls because there's always problems with them and, and they don't want to get anybody else involved. And the amount of garbage that these guys leave over is incredible. It's it's nuts. They just leave it all underneath the units. And I took pictures and I showed the guy. I'm like, this is what your guys are doing. And and I'm yeah. not trying to be like I'm not trying to be like a, a tattletale. But I don't want to come down off the roof and be blamed for it myself. You know what I mean? So I have to have, Yeah, i got to have evidence and say, this is what I'm seeing. I'm on your roof. I'm working for you. I'm going to provide you this feedback because this is what I see, and I think it's sloppy, and I think you should know about it. Um, and I don't want to get the guys in trouble. I just want them to clean it up. That's, that's yeah, it. Yeah, no doubt.
0: And we've all seen that. We've all seen the old compressor laying up on a roof because they were too lazy to take it down. Or a box of garbage, or it, it's pretty common.
1: I think probably across the country and, and in Canada, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, so let's let's get into a bit of a, a discussion. Like I know that um, one of the things you said you could touch on it is some some electrical safety. It, now, electrical safety is huge, and, and I'm going to give you some examples of me being zapped by uh, s- some power in, in the past, and one of them in particular was totally my fault the other one that comes to mind was yes it was my fault but there was an instance where we were using i'll I'll, I'll get into the story So, so the first one was i'm like a third year fourth year apprentice and i'm just starting to do all my own maintenances and take care of my own own accounts and stuff like that so i take a uh an adjustable wrench Okay, un- uninsulated, and I push in a contactor, and it slips, and it hits friggin', <laughs> it hits one of the legs of power, right? <laughs> and yep, zapped. And it just that was the first time. And this is five seventy five volts, and one leg of five seventy five volts is three hundred and forty seven volts. So it was one leg of five uh, five seventy five, and I got zapped, and it wasn't it wasn't nice, man. I just I had to take a break and lay down on the roof for like twenty minutes oh, yeah. and
0: just chill out. Oh yeah.
1: Right. And then the other one, yeah, it is. And then the other one, we, um, the apprentice I was working with at the time, this is going back like five, six years. We were changing a compressor on an old York unit, and he had a transformer in a toolbox. And the transformer had alligator clips. Uh, so basically we could hook it up, um, two alligator clips on a, on a three-phase 575 compressor uh, or contactor, and then we can get our 575, and then it stepped it down to 120, and we ran the vacuum pump off, off of that. So I went to go wire up the compressor, and I'm thinking it's not running, but the power was on. We just isolated the, um, the control wiring so that the compressor contactor wouldn't pull in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the carriers, the way this one, well, a lot of them are designed. This one was designed is there's two legs that break, and then one hot leg going to the compressor.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: grabbed that Common. one, start wiring it up, and, and then I got I got zapped. Uh-huh. <laughs> so these, these are the two cases that I remember very vividly. And that one really got me as well, and I just had to walk away and just sit down for a bit and just relax. And, and technically, you're lucky to be alive. You think so?
0: Well, I mean, it doesn't take... If you take your electrician's test, one of the questions, yep. at least here where I'm at, one of the questions on the test is, what amount of electrical shock is acceptable? And the answer is none. Yeah. You know? So in other words, they want to kind of let you know that, hey, there is no, you know, like textbook allowed amount of electrical shock that's safe. It doesn't take much yeah. to stop your heart. And then you need CPR where yeah. you could, you go unconscious, you get your heart stopped
1: or what have you, and you're dead. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing to fool around with. No, no. So, so let's let's talk about some electrical safety that you can maybe let us know about, and, and some of these guys can. Some use really basic stuff. Um,
0: so with with HVAC, you know, what would you say about half our trade is electrical?
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe
0: more. Yeah, exactly. I would say even more. Um, and you know, a, lo- a lot of most of us know a fair amount about electrical. And a lot of guys know a lot of basic stuff, but it's sort of uh, incomplete knowledge. And you don't have to be an electrical engineer to have just a basic knowledge of the theory and how electricity travels, how it's conducted, and how it works just a little bit to kind of Just, you know, the more you know, the safer you are. And with with anything, I don't care if you're playing a sport or a musical instrument or whatever it is you're doing, you got to know fundamentals first, right? So Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt to know some fundamental electrical theory to at least have somewhat of an understanding. It's going to help you in the long run anyway as you get into more complicated things. And a a lot of HVAC guys are really sharp on their electrical, and that's why they're good at their job. But there are some safety things that, you know, if you're specifically an electrician working for an electrical contractor as opposed to a heating and air company, say, um, that they might be really teaching and emphasizing at the electrician's company that they don't necessarily push on at the HVAC shop. Um, for example, if it, in at least where I'm at, I'm in Northern California. In California, if you're a licensed electrician, you, are, you do not have aluminum ladders on your truck. <laughs> it's not allowed. Yeah. Fiberglass only, you know, but heat and air guys all day long, aluminum ladders, you know, but they're working on electrical, <laughs> you know, quite a bit. So that's, that's one example. Um, EH rated boots you should have, which stands for electrical hazard. So most guys have, you know, a safety toe or a shank in their boot. Um, you really want to have, EH rated. It should say it in the tongue of your boot. Electrical hazard rated. So that you know, obviously, just means that you're not going to become grounded through the sole of your boot. It's meant for Uh electrical work. Little things like that. You know, these are just very basic safety
1: things that you. you, A lot of guys may already know. In Uh, in Canada, the the boots the boots we buy um, they got to be CSA approved, uh, like Canadian Standards Association. They have like a little. I think it's a little, uh, green tag with, with the, uh, the Ohm symbol on it. And that, that tells you it's rated to to, to be used for like electrical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were talking about, um, a couple of times where you got electrocuted uh, and we've all been electrocuted at one point or another. I'd say the most of the times I've ever been nailed is just because of a knuckle buster. You know, my hands are in somewhere, I'm working on something And I slip and my knuckle goes up against, you know, the live (laughs) stake on connector or something. And I get nailed real quick. But the worst I was ever electrocuted, I'll never forget it. I was actually running gas pipe, black iron pipe, right? And I'm on an old house, historical old house. And I'm feeding a stick of gas pipe under the house. Now, this house had knob and tube wiring, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just a kid. I was probably 20. You know, and I'm feeding pipe under this house and it stops. I hit a rafter and dink, dink, dink. The pipe won't go any further. I kind of left it as far. Well, every time I went dink, dink, I was going up against a live (laughs) old wire, but Uh I was standing in my boots outside. So I wasn't getting electrocuted through that pipe. So now I crawl under the house to go get the pipe and feed it the rest of the way. I'm laying in the mud. I reach up and grab the pipe and it lit me up lucky to be alive i mean it grabbed me right to the point where i was shook up i crawled out of there i had to go home for the day i was done and i was alone on that job site if i would have anything bad would have there was nobody there to you know so that's the danger of working alone and and there you go i did not get electrocuted because i didn't become grounded even though that that pipe was live because it went in you know the end of the iron pipe cut into the sheathing of the wire. And it was 120 volts on that pipe. But yeah. because it didn't go through my shoes, I didn't realize it till I'm laying on my back in the mud under the house as soon as I reached up and touched it. Jeez. There,
1: there you go. <laughs> you don't forget those stories, right? No, no. I It's, it's funny because I had, um, that kind of reminds me of uh, an instructor that used to say, if you're with a coworker and he's getting electrocuted, boot him. Take your boot and kick him off whatever right. he's... And, and I'm like, whoa, that's that's crazy. Like, what if? A- <laughs> but yeah. I guess what else? What else are you gonna do? Grab him, and then now you're attached to yeah, him. You're and now- yeah, you're
0: electrocuted as well, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that that's what his advice was. Take your boot, put it up, like, and just like kick the guy as hard as you can off the machine. Yep. Yeah, you might save his life. And, um, and it's funny because I seen I seen uh, I can't remember where I seen this. If it, what platform it was, but it was uh, a guy. And he walks into a uh, a convenience store and he's holding like his daughter in one arm. And his daughter was like two or something like that. And he grabs uh, a cooler door to grab a drink with his other hand. And all of a sudden, he drops his daughter, right? Drops her instantly. And he's attached to the to the door of the cooler.
0: Oh, my God. And,
1: yeah. And then people, people see this. They run over. And the guy um, that's obviously saved his life just kicks him off of it. And Buddy, like, sits there, and he stands up, like, a minute later, and, and he walks out. That was probably only, like, 120 volts, but I imagine that was, yeah. you know what I mean? It was just it was probably just a display. It was probably, like, the, the lighting circuit or or something like that, right? But I imagine, like, that was any higher, and and his daughter was yeah. in his arm. I mean, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, she probably didn't get nailed either because she was up. She wasn't touching ground. He maybe didn't complete a circuit through her. Who knows? Pa-
1: quite quite possibly but i've seen that before so how do you feel about insulated tools are you a big guy you know it's
0: funny that's exactly what i was going to say next non-conductive tools versus insulated tools you know there's a difference right so we all know about the non-conductive screwdrivers klein makes them Greenlee makes them ideal Mm -hmm. some of the generic brands are making them um i require them within my company i well i i ask everybody to please have them, you know, um, that's all I use in my pouch. I have a number two Phillips, a number two flathead, a a smaller Phillips, all in that non-conductive Klein. They're like what a thousand volt screwdriver. They're just so nice to have on you. I don't need to turn the power off to snug down a contactor or a fused disconnect, a lug, um, to check things, you know, to tighten up the lugs on breakers. Um, you know, they're, they're important. I I Mm -hmm. won't use anything else, really. Uh, You know, if you would have been using that when you pushed in that contactor
1: instead of an open uh, adjustable wrench, you wouldn't have got nailed. (laughs) Yeah, I I wouldn't have, but I I wouldn't have learned my lesson either. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I I, I failed, but I learned something.
0: I even have a pair of wire strippers that are the same thing. They're non-conductive. But the stripper part is metal. It's just, it goes into the to the fiberglass handles where it's just that non-conductive
1: composite. I think I've been through about seven or eight wire strippers that have big holes. We've blasting. all done
0: that. Yeah. We've blown them out. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's, it, you shouldn't laugh about it because I mean, it's a serious topic. So um, that's the other question I was going to ask you. So this is, this has come up before and I got into a pretty long discussion with, with a guy, a, a, actually a younger kid who's actually a very smart kid Um, on Instagram, I don't know how old he is, but he looks super young in his picture, but he's always got these very informative, um, answers and, and, and tidbits to, to any discussion that he's been involved in that I've seen. So it revolved around a non-contact voltage stick. And first of all, do you use one? And do you agree with those? Like he was calling it a death stick. Um, but I wanted to get your take on it. Alright, so if you guys follow me on uh, social media and stuff like that, you've seen that I've been kind of taking some time to train young man, Adriano, and uh, he's doing well. He really is. And I kind of enjoy the teaching aspect of things. And and today, I wanted to show him, like we went through the refrigeration cycle last week and I drew it out for him and I said on Monday, I'm going to ask you to draw this out for me. And he did and he got it all right impressed so i said next we got to tackle superheat and subcooling. and today we did a little bit of superheat we were cleaning some evaps and inside the panel when you swing it open whoever did the startup put 12 degrees fahrenheit on the inside of the panel i'm like that's that's a good starting point we can check this this evaporator and see if it's still maintaining that so i whipped out the smart probes just to show them how it all worked. Took the pressure probe, put it on the uh, the uh, service port on the suction manifold, took the clamp, clamped it to the perpendicular part of the line um, off of that suction manifold. Powered up the Smart Probes app and we we took a reading and it was right bang on in that range. Now, it was jumping around a little bit Depending on where the system was near the, the beginning of the cycle or the end of the cycle but it was, it was kind of in that 12 degree range so it was a really cool experience for him to see that and for me to kind of relay what superheat is and why it's important I mentioned before a couple real cool announcements out of NAVAC and the CMPX show. First, CMPX show I got lots of extra free passes if you want them you just got to go to cmpx.ca go to the pre-registration for the passes and you use HVAC know-it-all 20 that is the code you use to get the free pass HVAC know-it-all 20. Now there's going to be a mixer NAVAC know-it-all mixer Wednesday night the 25th at 6pm at Wayne Gretzky's you go by the NAVAC booth you grab some tickets or a ticket per person not some tickets ticket per person and show up at Wayne Gretzky's. You gotta have some drinks and stuff like that. Uh, There's gonna be some appetizers purchased by Navac. It's very, very kind of them to do that. If you guys miss out on a ticket, or if you just wanna show up, and you don't get a ticket, you can still show up. I mean, we got space there. Show up, but you just have to throw down some cash for your your drinks and your food. Um, The other thing we're gonna do is a giveaway at the Navac booth. Either for a power, uh, battery-powered vacuum pump, or battery-powered flaring tool kit. Go by the booth, say no at all. You get one. Um, you, you get to put your name in once for that prize. You go by between one and two when I'm there with Andrew, hanging out, and say no at all. You get your name in there twice. Okay, and then we're gonna do the draw at 1:50 on Friday, live on my Instagram feed. Pretty cool stuff um i posted the yellow jacket pick that that i've got last week actually this one was an extra one that i'm going to give away the yellow jacket pick is sweet So, like a little blue tube you take the 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 cap off it's got some some seals inside and a a little pick and then the other end is a core removal tool so you use that to to get your your seals out of your hoses that are compressed and jammed in there then you put the new seals in and i use a little bit of nylog to keep the seal nice and um lubricated because nylog is an assembly lubricant as well uh and the other thing speaking nylog refrigeration technologies while we were cleaning that evaporator when we were showing um adriano the superheat we were using coil cleaner the 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 red coil cleaner in a can and i was showing adriano hey this stuff is really really awesome look how it foams out and brings the dirt with it it's non-rinsing it just goes right down the drain after with with the condensate from the uh, the evaporator, it's really, really great stuff, guys. Anyway, let's get back to Frank, and hopefully, guys, I see you at the show CMPX, and I hopefully I see you at the Navac Mixer Wayne Gretzky's twenty fifth at six p.m. Oh yeah, um, I like them. You
0: know, they're kind of nice. I I don't know if I'd trust my life with it though. Mm-hmm. Right. I, not that I've ever seen one fail. I have a couple of them, the ones, the little Klein, you know, non-contact, you get near the voltage and it reads it. Mm-hmm. So they, they seem very dependable to me. But, uh, it, you know, like I said, I've never seen one not read voltage and then find out with a Wiggins or a meter that it's live after all. But, you know, if I'm going to touch something, I like to put a real true voltage meter on it and make sure it's dead you know, like say, I don't know if I would trust my life to a non-contact meter, would
1: you? Oh, I mean, no, no, I, I wouldn't. But the, the thing, I think that the discussion was, was like this. It's like, you walk, and, and I think a lot of people have been zapped by the cabinet of a unit. Like, they walk up to a rooftop or a furnace and just go to grab the panel to take it off and they get zapped, right? Um, That's what a safety so, ground is for. Yeah, so I mean... People in the past have said anytime you walk up to a unit, slap it with the back of your hand. And I'm and I'm thinking that yeah, slap it with the back of your hand. So if you do it with your palm, you might grab it and you might get locked on. Back of your hand's a better option. But I'm thinking, wouldn't a better option to be just wave your non contact voltage stick in front of it to see if it's live before you touch it? That was that I was my if you
0: would pick it up. That's a good question. I haven't experimented with that, but that what a great what a great idea. I mean, it can't hurt if you're carrying one of those around.
1: Yeah and I, and I said to him I said if you wave that and it goes off then you know if you wave it it doesn't go off then maybe hit it with the back of your hand just as an extra sure. caution whatever right um so I was I was so I did some research and reading on a non-contact voltage stick and the way it works is and I didn't know this it needs a complete circuit in order to to read voltage and it actually creates the circuit through you to ground and, <laughs> and I thought that was really funny because you're wearing a pair of boots but it's still the the it still moves through you to ground that's how I read it I read a really good article and I should find it and probably post the link to it in the podcast notes so everybody can can read it but they explained it as basically the the let's say the the wire in the unit is like so if we go to a capacitor, a capacitor has the, the two dielectrics in the gap or the gap in the middle or whatever, you know what I mean? Or the yeah. two-plate dielectric, which is the gap in the middle. So they, they explain it as one plate is the thing you're checking. The dielectric is the air between your stick and you, and you're the other plate going to ground. Yeah, and it's a field. What, that's how it completes the circuit.
0: That's crazy. And that's why electricity is such a fascinating subject. There's so many examples like that of really neat things
1: and that the, you can explain. I, was, I know. And the example I was reading, the guy was saying um, that the only time he's never seen a non-contact voltage stick work was when the earth ground or the ground to the machine was non-existent and the earth ground to the building was broken. Because if the Yeah, earth and that's a
0: good point.
1: If the earth ground of the building's broken, you're not going to be grounded, right? Yeah. Because it needs it needs another ground reference. It can't be the same one. It needs a different one, and then it has to move through you to ground in order to read.
0: Yes. Yes, and that's the one hand in the pocket rule. Have you ever heard that rule?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just so you don't touch anything. That's so you don't have work.
0: both hands on something. Yeah. So it can come that's- through this arm, through your heart, and then back through the other arm.
1: Mm-hmm. So but do you <laughs> have? Sorry, go on. Oh no, go ahead. I was I was going to say, do you have any experience uh, wiring up HVAC equipment? Like absolutely, because um, there's a lot of discussion on like wire sizing and stuff like that. Like I, there, there's a yes. lot of information out there and stuff like that. But can you speak on that a little bit? Like if we have a a certain unit rated for a certain amperage, what wire size are we running to to that oh. machine?
0: Yeah, and that's a. That's a subject that gets argued a lot.
1: I know, um, I've seen argued.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a well-argued subject right there. I mean, technically, most of the time uh, on the cheap, they're going to run the size for the running ampacity of the unit mm-hmm. and then the breaker for the maximum overcurrent protection. Then you end up with, in some cases, depending on where the ampacity and the max fuse Where's the gap there, you might end up with too big of a breaker on too small of a wire. And that's where that argument comes in. You know, Mm -hmm. for example, let's say I have a minimum circuit ampacity of 19, but I have a max view size of 30. Well, Okay. okay, technically, number 12 wire up to 20 amps, for example, I could run number 12, but now I have number 12 on a 30 amp breaker. Well, that's not right. That number 12 mm-hmm. wire is going to be dangerously hot before it trips that 30 amp breaker. So I'm going to go ahead to number 10 wire personally. Um, so that's just an example of that. Same when you go up to 40 amp. Now you've got to, and this is really common. You see the 40 amp breaker with the number 10 wire going to it. That should be number eight wire. It's a 40 amp breaker, right? So that that's where, and, and in some cases, the inspectors will let it fly because the ampacity on the thing is, you know, 28.3 amps or something. And so they'll say, well, it's normally pulling under 30 amps, so the number 10 wire is okay. Well, it's on a 40 amp breaker though, you know? So that, that is a gray area where some people disagree on what should be code and what should be safe. Does
1: that make is, sense? Is there not? Yeah, is, is there not something in the code book that stipulates that it should be this wire size for that breaker size?
0: Yeah, there, there is, in fact, um, and, and that's where you get the arguments. You know, the NEC says that and the NEC says this. Um, I've always personally, I want to make sure that because the job of a breaker or a fuse is to protect the wire. It has really nothing to do with the machine so much. So if I have a, a line voltage circuit, from a service disconnect on a unit to a breaker back at the panel, the breaker's job is to protect that wire from the breaker all the way to that service disconnect. Then mm-hmm. the service disconnect typically will have fuses or a breaker in it, and its job is to protect the load side of the circuit. So that's your wire from the disconnect to the machine and everything inside of that machine. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we want to have our, our line voltage pr- protected by the breaker. I mean, isn't that the purpose of that fuse or the breaker? It, it's, t- it's Technically, it's temperature. When the wire reach, we know it's amperage, but amperage equals uh, how hot the wire is getting. So at a certain temperature, yeah. the, the fuse is going to pop or the breaker is going to trip. And that's where we get into how electricity really works,
1: you know, um, the, yeah, and how I've the wires been, are rated. I've always been taught the same thing, is that you size the breaker for the wire. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, same here. That's That's how I was taught, and that's how I've always done it. So I always lean to the side of I'm going to play it safe. The cost of wire is negligible when it comes to doing things right. I mean, obviously, if you're running 100 feet of wire, there could be a little more cost there, but I like to sleep good at night. So I prefer to run, I'm going to run the bigger wire. I'm going to go up that one size. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, if you're so, on an existing situation, you're on a changeout, and it's a matter of do we have to replace the wire, right? Um, You might leave that up to the building inspector if it's marginal. Maybe it'll slide. Maybe you need to talk to your client about, you know, I'd really like to run a new circuit, but it's marginal. Um, It'll probably pass inspection, that kind of thing, if we're right there. Uh, But what you'll see a lot of guys do that is terrible is they'll go up a ton, not knowing they need to run a new circuit. You know, they just went from a 35 amp max to a 45 amp max, and they don't run a new wire. You know, that's a common problem you see out
1: there as well. Oh, I've, I've, I've seen that with, uh, with like in, in commercial uh, where they take like a, an old beast of a unit that's been on a roof for 50, 50 <laughs> years and it's got like big like uh, 100 amp fuses in it and they put a smaller, more efficient unit on there that that it only needs like um, 50 amp fuses or 50 amp breaker and, and noth- none of the electricals changed. It's just the same. They just.
0: Yeah, and and now you're going the other way. The line voltage is more than sufficient, but you need to put the correct disconnect on and fuse it down to the right size. And now your load (laughs) side will be squared away. (laughs) And then, of course, you know, you have different ratings of wires. And mm -hmm. that's another thing that a lot of folks don't necessarily understand. You know, um, like THHN or THWN or Romax or all these different types of wire. What does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. They're rated a little bit differently. The ampacity can change depending on the type of wire. So a THHN is going to have a slightly higher ampacity than, say, a THWN or obviously than a ROMAX. It's got two H's, high heat. So that's just the thermoplastic rating on the outside of the wire.
1: I I see. Gotcha. And then, of course, stranded wire is better than solid wire. Yeah, I've, I've always, you know what? I, I've always had a bit of a beef with Stranded Wire sometimes. Just <laughs> and when I first got into the, when I, fr- I, li- I like it now. Uh, but when I first got into the trade, uh, it was probably because I didn't have like the right connectors and stuff, and I was always <laughs> jamming with it, yeah. jam yeah. the stranded wire in, and it was like bunching up. And then what yeah. I do is I, I'd, I'd peel back like three or four of the strands and cut them off. Just like, oh no, just so you could cram it in there. Yeah, just so I could cram <laughs> it in there. And then now I'd you know, went I'd from always, number eight
0: to number ten.
1: Yeah, I'd always tell people I hate stranded wire, but <laughs> I, I like it now. Is you just got to have the right connectors and and stuff like that for the wire size
0: well do do we know why stranded wire tends to have a higher ampacity rating than solid wire no but you can tell us because of uh, something called skin effect okay so when we look at the way electricity travels through a conductor so you have you have conductors semiconductors and insulators so you have mm-hmm. three, in, in electricity, we have three types of material. We have something that's a conductor, such as copper, aluminum, gold, silver, obviously water, stuff that conducts electricity, right? Then we have semiconductors like plastics, you know, a solar panel is a semiconductor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have insulators, glass, porcelain, things that do not conduct electricity at all, right? So where, where we have conductors that conduct electricity, the the electricity does not travel through the inside of a conductor like water through a hose. It travels across the outside of it, and that's what's known as skin effect. So it's, it's on the um, – you can look it up, like in Wikipedia, look up skin effect. It explains it really well. It's on most of the outer portion of a conductor. So it is – A Little bit inside of the conductor, but it's mostly traveling across that outside of that conductor So when you have stranded wire you have more strands for skin effect to take place as opposed to a solid wire You've just got one
1: strand Yeah Hmm interesting. I didn't know that
0: It's really cool stuff the more you learn about electricity. It's it's a lot of fun and in you know, you change the, the slightest um, characteristic of the way that electricity is traveling, and everything changes. Ohm's law, right? You have four um, pieces to the puzzle of how electricity is going to get you to power. Yeah, and and that's where you get into why is voltage drop so dangerous, and you know why why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why why does it matter um, that the way I connect a wire? You know, the number one problem we see with um electrical issues
1: is usually a loose connection it's that simple oh i know i i I read i read an article a couple of years ago on thermal imagery and how it has detected so much so many loose connections in panels that that were rectified um before they caused the problem and and it's reduced maintenance costs and everything like that it was was a really good article i don't remember you've been posting
0: stuff with your thermal imager lately that I've seen yeah 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 I,
1: I have yeah I've been, I've been trying out a few of them from 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 fleer we got into a bit of a relationship for for three months to do some to do some work with them and, and I really enjoyed uh, using them but that that article uh, was was a real eye-opener to, to me when I read it
0: yeah it's absolutely true um, when I was going to school for this in my 20s uh, one of the teachers was really big on actually soldering the connections it was that uh, he would he would tell you to spin down a lug and then spot solder it now i've never done that in my life but that was something he actually recommended you do <laughs> because he would yeah. talk about like aluminum wire it uh-huh. can expand and contract and, and actually back a lug out yeah that's what a big deal heat is and um what we don't like our guys to ever use wire nuts on anything bigger than like a number 10 HOG. Okay. Because, you, you know, those big blues and big gray wire nuts, have you ever seen those catch on fire, start a fire? I've, I've seen them melted down, yeah. Yes, we've all seen the melted wire nut. I've yeah. seen fires before because of that, you know, inside of a unit or i seen it up a wall. Bad bad junction maybe, um, a J-Box, you know, having that and it's all black in there. But you really want to use a splice lug or something when you start getting into those big connections like that. I I don't like the big wire
1: nuts, you know. Or even like a a small terminal block or something like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like a lug where you're putting wire into one side, tightening down the screw, put it into the other side, tighten down the screw, and then use splice tape to insulate it. Or they have the really expensive ones. They call them like Phoenix connectors. They're real pricey. Mm -hmm. It's like a little
1: 90-degree thing. Same thing, though. It's just pre-insulated for you. Cool. That's, that's some interesting stuff there. Uh, I, I did want to ask you before we, we go, we've been, wow, it's been on Like I told you, I told you once we get going, we talked for a while, it's been 36 minutes already. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so it's a fun wanna, subject. It is. It is a fun subject. I wanted to ask you your opinion on using a, a megometer on, uh, on for troubleshooting purposes. And Yeah. meggers. Um,
0: I, I recently had an electrician telling me a story out at the airport where they, they're a big electrical company and they, they had to put a megohm meter on some underground wiring to find where a problem kept occurring and it turned out rats had got to a wire underground and they had to use the megohm meter to find it, you know, to get, to get it to do it because the circuit that's already there isn't powerful enough to do it constantly, it's just doing it intermittently. You know, I've even had um, we had we had a service call one time where we installed a new system on a house residential and the condensing unit brand new is tripping the breaker. And one of my techs goes out and he thinks, well, it's a newer unit. He thinks this or that does something to it. They call back. It's still acting up. I ended up going over there myself and you know how in in a lot of homes older homes you'll have that busway it's wooden and it'll go from the main panel across the garage like a little channel and all the wires Mm -hmm. will be laying in that and then they'll go into the attic so i I go out in this garage and i'm i'm looking up i'm trying to figure out okay this wire goes from here goes up across this busway way across the house two-story house i'm trying to figure out okay where's this thing go because it's Still tripping this breaker, but it's only once in a while. And I just thought to do it. I jumped up on, like, something they had in the garage, and I look in that busway. It's all rat urine and stuff across there. And I get to look, and I'm like, sure enough, this is that big old aluminum Romax. and it's just got little tiny chew marks in it every so often. And what it was is rats had chewed into the wire, but it wasn't enough to pop the breaker right now. But every now and then, it would just be just enough to pop that breaker it was shortened to the ground wire inside that Romex, you know? Those little intermittent problems like that. And I bet you if you put your mega on that, you could have forced that to happen.
1: And when yeah, okay, this that... wire is shorting out, right? Yeah, I've, I've actually found a ton of problems like that. And I just actually, I when I said pot test, I knew something wasn't right about it. So I looked it up. It's actually called a high pot test. Yeah, i, I was cool that. Yeah, yeah. High pot. And I actually, I'll, I'll read you, um, it's megometer versus high pot, just so everybody know, knows the difference. So a high pot in brackets, a shorted way to say high potential or high voltage is a term used ah, for go. electrical safety testing measurements used to verify electrical insulation in finished appliances, cables, or other wired assemblies, printed circuit boards, electric motors and transformers. I didn't know that you could use it on a, a circuit board, but and then the megometer, um, a special type of oh meter used to measure electrical resistance of insulators. Yeah. So I think a, a high pot is just a megometer on steroids from from <laughs> from I think you're uh, right. Yeah, from, from what I've seen and how I've seen it used, it's it's kind of just like a a larger um version of a Megometer, really. One of the things that I find with it that sometimes can be hidden and you can't really pick it up with a regular meter is if a contactor has dust tracking back to ground on the panel, Um, if you just take the wires off the the line side of the contactor and you hook um, one side of the the Megger up to the top, the line side of the contactor, and the other side to ground and hit that button on my Megger, and you get a bad reading, it's because there's dust or carbon that's tracked from the the line side back to ground, and it's got moisture embedded in it that's created a a conductive path to ground. What are you doing to rectify that? Replace the contactor. There you go. Replace it, because I don't trust it anymore. I'll just replace the contactor.
0: So instead of just visually inspecting the contactor, you have something that you're actually doing to it that's proving it needs to be replaced. That's great.
1: Yeah, I I discovered this one. Um, This building I have has a lot of York Predator units, and the electrical section is open to the fan section in a a way where it's under a negative. And when it's raining, it's snowing, whatever, um, we get these fuses that pop. And then they call us the next day. We go there, check everything with a meter, change the fuses, it's fine. Everything's running. And then a week later, two weeks later, it's raining again, the fuses pop. I'm like, I'm going to use my megger on this. I'm going to use my megger and I'm going to start at the terminal block and I'm going to start megging everything from the terminal block coming into the unit. And then every time I get a bad reading, I follow that path until, and then I eliminate as I go until I keep following the path of bad and I end up finding it. So I hope going forward, none of you guys are going to take an uninsulated tool and push a contactor in like I did. Very, very dangerous stuff, what I did. And, and, and I probably should have known that at that stage of the game, but I was probably a little bit complacent because when you're like that third, fourth year and you're on your own, you're getting your, your own jobs and your own contracts, you start getting a little bit of that confidence, you get over cockiness. And as I was saying to, to Frank, if I didn't get hit with that, I may never have learned my lesson. Luckily, I was okay. But yes, every mistake, there's a lesson to be learned from it. Now, the the second time I got hit with a 347, that was something I should have been aware of as well. I mean, that's that's kind of a form of complacency. I mean, the unit was on. The disconnect was on, right? Um, Because we were using that the cheater cord for the the transformer to power the vacuum pump. So we didn't have to run an extension cord. Now I kind of I going forward into the future, I kind of don't like that idea anymore, because I can see that happening to somebody else. Because they're kind of in a zone working and the unit, in their mind is usually down when they're doing a compressor change and wiring it in. That's why I kind of don't like it, because it could happen to somebody else. Anyway, guys, just be safe out there. Use use what you've been taught. Use what you've been trained. Use what you've learned along the way. And if you haven't been trained properly, at least you don't think you have, I mean, there's lots of information out there. Just be aware of your surroundings and respect the fact that electricity, it can kill you. All right, guys, I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.